welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. People often ask me why I do this story work, why I'm a mythologist. And in a nutshell, it's because I'm interested in cultural change and the transformation of consciousness, mine and yours. In fact, the purpose of my work, which I call Mythic Mojo, is to bring about a mini-revolution in consciousness. And I call it a mini-revolution because I want to distinguish what I'm after, which is quiet and stealthy and uh, superficially small, uh, something subtle from our usual images of revolution and the clashing and the banging of, of guns and large forces. The type of revolution I'm interested in is something that each of us is participating in or can participate in wherever we are. Now, in this context, stories are valuable as mirrors and teachers. They can show us what is valuable, what has been valuable. They contain information about Uh, the larger processes of life and our ongoing conversation with the non-human, non-ego realms. And they can challenge us, challenge our beliefs and our attitudes. Because when we listen to a story that, and we don't like something about it or we don't get it, uh, there's an invitation there to question yourself and your approach to the story. Now, today's story takes up this this problem or task of transformation on two levels. It's about a transformation, and it is exactly this type of story that puzzles and frustrates many of us. The story that I want to tell you is the Greek myth of Artemis and Acteon. And I really encourage you to note your reactions and your feelings and consider your interpretive moves, the directions that you want to go with the story, and take these as reflections of your own consciousness and values. So let's get on with the story. Now, Acteon was the grandson of Cadmus the founder and one-time king of the powerful city of Thebes. Acteon was also cousin to Pentheus, and if you are familiar with Euripides' play The Bacchae, then you recognize Pentheus as being the one who had a rather tragic run-in with Dionysus in this play. The story of Acteon and Artemis Uh, has been told by many people over the years, and what follows my version of this is roughly paraphrased from Ovid and a handful 
of Greek sources. Sing to me, muse of Actaeon, the grandson of Cadmus, born of a royal family and raised by the wise centaur Chiron, mentor to all noble heroes and talented young men. One morning, a morning that began with the sun rising above the hills, like it does to this very day, Actaeon went with his friends to Mount Citheron to hunt. The young Actaeon was a very good hunter, accurate and brave, and he had a carefully assembled pack of 50 hunting dogs, breeds from around the world, who were very well trained and aided him. This particular morning, the group had very good luck, and they caught a number of forms of game, rabbits and deer and birds of various sorts. But now the sun was high over their heads, and the day was hot. My friends, Acteon said, we have shed enough blood for one day. Our bounty is great. Let's stop and find some cool shade and rest. All of them were in agreement about the wisdom of this plan, and the party slowly dispersed as each of the young men went off in search of shade and cool grass and debris. Acteon also wandered the mountainside and ultimately found himself alone. Now, as it turns out, Acteon and his friends were not the only ones who were out hunting this morning. The goddess Artemis had also been out on Mount Citheron with her bow in her hand. Artemis was the virgin goddess of the hunt and of wild things. She was the patron of all young beings, animals, and humans alike, and in particular of the young girls that we now call tomboys. Artemis was associated with the bear, the stag, and the dog, and the crescent moon. Artemis lives in the wilderness, and she wants nothing to do with civilization or men, although she is very close to her twin brother, Apollo. In fact, when Artemis was a young girl, her father Zeus sat her on his knee and asked her what she wanted, and she said, Don't make me stay here on Mount Olympus with the rest of you. Don't make me stay here and sit in a chair around the table with all the rest of you. Just please give me a simple toga and a bow and let me run the woods. And this he did. Well, so this very Artemis, lovely and fierce, also stops to rest and cool off. The goddess has a secret grotto on the mountain with a graceful stone arch that opens onto a small meadow with a clear stream. And in her grotto, there is a beautiful pool that is perfect for bathing. No mortal beings know of this place. It is her refuge. And Artemis goes to the pool with her nymphs, that is the young women who attend her. 
They take her bow from her shoulder, help her undress, bind up her hair, and fill their urns with water to pour over her white body. All alone now, Acteon comes upon the clear stream, and he follows its cheerful, babbling course to the meadow. And as he crosses the meadow, he spies the stone arch. And it's so inviting and cool and shady that he steps inside this grotto to stand at the edge of the pool. And there he finds Artemis and the nymphs. This young man is struck dumb with amazement. He just stands and stares. But when the nymphs see him, they cry out and quickly rush to surround the goddess to shield Artemis from his view. But she is taller than the rest of them and looks over their heads at the young hunter, who is still looking at her. Her cheeks turn red. She begins to tremble with rage. And furiously, Artemis says, I bet you can't wait to get back to your friends to tell them that you have seen the goddess unveiled. And she glances around, searching for her bow and arrows, but alas, they are lying on the bank just out of reach. And at that moment, Acteon hears his companions, off in the distance calling his name. Without thinking, he opens his mouth to call out to them in reply. But Artemis, wielding the only tool at hand, splashes the young man with water. Now go and tell the others all that you've seen, she says, if you can. The drops of water from her wet hands turn Acteon into a stag. A pair of antlers emerge from his head. His arms and legs lengthen. His hands and feet become hooves, and his skin turns to rough hide. The transformation of Acteon is not only physical. He becomes a, a deer in in spirit also. And Artemis completes the physical transformation with the flourish and makes the young man timid. Acteon, the hunter turned stag, turns from the grotto with a start and runs away across the meadow. As he runs, he marvels at his speed. It's amazing, he thinks to himself. I am faster than the wind and just as tireless. Acteon stops to drink at a small stream. He lowers his head and, oh my God, sees his reflection. He realizes what has happened and a strangled cry neither human nor animal, emerges from his throat. 
while Actaeon stands gazing in horror at his reflection in the stream. His hunting dogs catch his scent. His large pack of 50 dogs of various breeds from different lands. He looks up when he sees them. And the young hunter, now deer, runs. And the dogs make chase, leaping and snapping. He runs as long and as fast and as hard as he can, but he cannot get away from them. A dog leaps up onto his back. Another grips his hind leg in its mouth. And another bites his throat. Actaeon tries to moan and cry out, but he can only make these small strangled sounds. He pleads for mercy with his eyes and tries to make contact as master to the dogs. But they do not see this, and they bring him down. His friends, hearing all of this commotion, have gathered to watch the show, and they call out to Acteon to come and join them, to watch the skill of his dogs. They imagine that he is fast asleep in the shade somewhere, or too lazy to answer their call. But of course, poor Acteon is all too present. Later, the story of Acteon's fate is told and retold by the gods until it finally reaches the ears of mortals. Some people think that the goddess was too harsh. Others say that Artemis simply acted according to her nature and that the young hunter had bad luck. Now it's left for us to parse out some of the possibilities in this story. It's very common to interpret this story and the transformation of Acteon as a punishment, as a moral teaching, that it doesn't pay to gawk at a nude virgin goddess. I'm making a joke here, but yeah, but that there's a problem here, that there was a violation of the feminine, or that he was inappropriately voyeuristic or lustful. You can read this as a cautionary tale about contact with the divine and the problem of nativity, which is a variation on this theme. Again, that there's a lack of respect here for the feminine, in this case, and that if we're not properly prepared to approach it, it will destroy us. The other common thread that weaves into handlings of this story has to do with the general inhumanity of the gods. And we are reminded that the Greek gods usually brought trouble to human beings. Their concerns and agendas existed outside of any of our moral considerations. Now, I think that all of these interpretations, the moral teachings and the cautionary tales 
raise a question of fairness. At least this is where the discussions tend to go when I tell this story. What do you think? Was Acteon harshly treated? It depending on whose version of the story you read, he may or may not have been filled with a lustful kind of longing. He may simply have been dumbfounded by the extraordinary beauty of the supernatural Artemis. So maybe she overreacted. He didn't mean anything, right? But should we expect life or the gods to be fair? Is this notion of fairness irrelevant? I think so. I think there is a larger pattern that we simply can't see. And we have to remember that fate was something that even the gods couldn't change. Some people apparently just get a raw deal. So if we want to stick with the he was punished, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time type interpretations, then I think we have to grapple with our desire for fairness and our desire for the divine, that is the non-human, inhuman others, to be kind and loving and good. And there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. But let's move on here, because you can also read this tale as a metaphor for spiritual or psychological transformation. Now, Wolfgang Gingrich, who's a post-Jungian psychologist and theorist, developed a very interesting interpretation of this myth. And um, he wrote an entire book in which he imagines that Acteon the Hunter is the individual in search of the truth, that is, the other, with a capital O, and that Artemis is this other, who is also the self. That would be the archetypal self. And the ego is the dogs. So there's a dissolution in union with the larger other. It's very heady reading. It's very interesting, though. I wrote a paper where I kind of connected this to the use of iconic images in Tibetan Buddhism as a way to achieve enlightenment. That paper is titled Imagining the Unimaginable, and I will post it on my mythicmojo.com website at some point. But anyway, this is very heady stuff, and I think that we can find something along these lines in the story itself. Let's start with the questions, who or what is Artemis, and what does it mean then to meet her? Artemis has a very distinct character. She's untamed. She is her own wild woman. She hunts and shuns the cities. Now, a chance meeting with Artemis is going to be very different from a chance meeting with Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty and relationship. If you came across Aphrodite naked in a pool, approaching her with a song of praise and admiration on your lips would probably be a very good move, especially if you were young and handsome. But this isn't Aphrodite. This is Artemis. And the young hunter and the goddess may be more closely connected than it first appears. They 
are both hunters. And hunting is a type of seeking. So they're both hunters. They're both seeking. Now, I said that Artemis is a huntress and that she was associated with the doe and the stag. In many cult images of the goddess, she is wearing a spotted doe skin on her back. And if you look carefully at those, you can see hanging off of her back at the bottom the, um, the hooves that are still attached to the skin. What does this mean? Does it mean that she likes to kill deer? No. It suggests that Artemis embodies something about hunting. And hunting that taking pl- takes place outside of the limits of civilization because we're dealing with something that cannot be fully integrated into human culture. That exists before human culture. And this is where Artemis is. Artemis wears the doe skin because she embodies something about hunting that every hunter should know. That is the intimate connection between life and death, between the hunter and the hunted. It's very easy for me to say those words And it's very easy for us to hear them and go, oh, yeah, okay, fine. You know, especially today when relatively few of us are hunters. But how do we come to terms with our capacity for killing? Life feeds upon life. Joseph Campbell said that this was the essential problem that every mythology needs to address. And honoring this connection between the hunter and the hunted. And recognizing how you will ultimately occupy both positions in that relationship is what lends the sacred to the act of killing. If there is a real respect for life and the connection between life and death, then killing, that is hunting, otherwise is not justifiable. In this view, the myth of Artemis and Acteon is an initiation into the deepest mysteries, into a world where the dichotomies dissolve and that paradox, the paradoxal relationship between life and death. Now, This is transformation. Being destroyed by your own dogs, that is transformation. That is permanent change, no return. That's not, oh, I had an amazing epiphany and two weeks from now I've forgotten it. Transformation, something that we say that we all want, and yet we fear it and we should. This is transformation, permanent change. No return, no way back to that previous state. Now, I find something of this in a poem by Edith Wharton titled Artemis to Acteon. And in this poem, the goddess questions our assumptions about immortality uh, and the 
common view that the gods, because they were immortal and they were gods, had everything. No, this Artemis says, actually our lives are dull and we are kept alive only through you, through your images of us and through your activities. She suggests that she loved Acteon. And the poem ends with these words. And this was thine, thine, his immortality. And this was thine to lose thyself in me, relive in my renewal, and become the light of other lives, a quenchless torch, passed on from hand to hand till men are dust and the last garland withers from my shrine. I love that ending there where we see that men and the gods, in this case the goddess Artemis, come to an end at the same time because their existence is necessary to the other. So was it fate that took Acteon into that grotto? I think so. It could have been a caring daemon. It could have been that the goddess did love him. Only Acteon and others who have been similarly transformed know the real answer to any of these questions. Now, every member of the Greek pantheon has a particular personality and carries or conveys a unique mode of relationship. That's why it was necessary to really see this as an interaction with Artemis in particular. Each one of the gods has a different quality, and meeting them is different. Hermes is a trickster, so he's helpful and duplicitous. He's entertaining, but he's also a bit of a liar. Ares is brave, but he's a hothead. Aphrodite's passionate, but she can be jealous. Hera, the wife, well, she's very possessive because she's the wife. Anyway, you can imagine being at a dinner party with all of these folks and think about who you would want to sit next to or flirt with or avoid. Of all of them, the one that would be least likely to show up at such a gathering would be Artemis. If you want to meet her, you have to go out into the woods. You have to go hunting. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't want to. Look what happened to Acteon. But sooner or later, we all have to go. The Greeks said that all of the gods had to be honored. You can't pick or choose your favorites because the one that you ignore is the one who would eventually come for you, demanding recognition. All of us have to grapple at some time or another with the problem of death, life and death and the way that they are related. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have comments or questions about today's program, or mythology in general. You can visit the Myth in the Mojave website, or find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook. You can also email me through my main website, mythicmojo.com. I'd like to remind you that Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are made possible by generous donations from our local 
sponsors and from listeners like you. So if you haven't been to the Radio Free Joshua Tree website recently, to click on that handy Donate PayPal button, please do so. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life. Mm-hmm.